And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper, back from the long drive down I-80. Yes, I'm in my new place. It is not furnished or decorated, so I'm using a door to add texture to my shot. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, get notified every time we have an episode go live. Uh, Eno and I have had a chance to hang out already, which is awesome. So I've got one uh, set of, of beers in with Eno already in the three and a half days that I've been here. So I feel like I'm living my best West Coast life so far. That's right. That's right. I panicked last minute and almost brought um, a box of seized chocolates that we had eaten a couple out of and tried to like... <laughs> put the tape back on and be like, you know, here's a, here's a housewarming gift. And I didn't know. I don't know why it looks like it's been gone into. And my wife, thank God was like, no dude, you're bringing beers. It's okay. <laughs> well, you did leave a, a bottle opener here. So I'll consider that oh, a housewarming <laughs> gift, at least until right. I return, even if it's only on loan at this point. But uh, for anybody out there who's red solo cups, yeah, I got like four or five solo cups out of the deal too. For anybody out there who's ever moved even a, a little far away from where they used to live, you don't have to even go cross country. When you move far enough away where you don't bring all of your things with you, or if your things are maybe delayed in getting to you, and you put them in a pod or a box or whatever. You go through this phase, and I'm right in the beginning of it right now. It's about two to three weeks where every time you go to do something, you can't complete you can't, the task without being really creative. <laughs> yeah, you, you just can't. And the smartest things that I've purchased so far, two camping chairs and a four-foot folding table from Costco, which is a workstation. It is a dining room table. It is a drinking beer table. Uh, it is patio chairs. I mean, it's extremely versatile for like a hundred bucks, like three pieces that and get you a very long way until you get all those other little pieces back in place. And what I really like about it too is that they'll have completely different uses later on in your life. Uh, you don't want to buy something that then you have to get rid of. Yeah. You know, later. But it's like, you know, for now, it's our it's our dining room set. Right. <laughs> later, it'll be our camping set. <laughs> yeah, the desk shows up on Thursday. So once the desk gets here, we'll take one of the functions of the table away. I won't have to move it in and out of the office every time I do a recording, which is... Oh, that's you know, exciting. It's a small price to pay, but that's my best <laughs> tip. Actually, buy some things that you can use on your patio that also work indoors because you will find them to be incredibly useful if you don't have all your things. Uh, also, pack a better small kitchen box than we did because... <laughs> We tried to anticipate our own needs, but you tend to forget things like, you know, a spatula. We tried to make scrambled oh. eggs the first morning we were here. There was nothing to stir them with. So that was a problem. Uh, you can, of course, scramble the eggs with a fork in a plastic cup. So that gets you part of the way there. But you can't really do anything with a fork in the pan. So you're living your best bachelor life. 
Well, yeah, it's just it's it's creative problem solving. Like to make coffee today, I had to boil water in a saucepan because I don't have a kettle right now, right? <laughs> I didn't bring a coffee maker with me. I use a French press, so I have a, a three quart saucepan, which also cooked our noodles in it last night. I'm starting to think that minimalism. If you wanted to learn how to move more effectively, you should read and listen to podcasts about minimalism before you move because it will set you on the right path to having the right things in the car or in whatever little bit of space you have. Oh, don't be around. like us. You know, we got married and uh, had kids and all those are gift giving opportunities. So the family has been giving us gifts and we've been in this house for long enough now that I, if we ever move out of here... It'll take like three trucks. <laughs> we got a basement. Like you know, not everybody in California has a basement. We have a basement, and it is full. You uh, you do have a lot of things. I, I say oh that in a very God. kind way. You were nice enough to let us stay with you a few weeks ago when we were here looking for places to live. And I thinking about my own move and being in your home, I was like, holy crap! I don't think Eno's moving for a while. And my mom, bless her heart, came here and dropped twelve boxes of books as one day. I mean, 12 boxes of books. That's about one third of the possessions that I put in that pod that's coming across <laughs> the country. So, yeah. Uh, and then she recently admitted, well, you know, they're not all that good. You could get rid of some. And I'm like, uh, you could have gotten rid of some. <laughs> well, she's giving you the option. She didn't want to get rid right. of the good books that you would have enjoyed. So, I mean, she did you a favor by letting you decide which books that you'd like to keep. Uh, and which ones you'd like to get rid of. So I got to start reading. <laughs> yeah, so thank you to the many of you who've reached out and, and welcomed me to the Bay Area or sent tips for places to go, uh, you know, breweries, restaurants, uh, places to see. We're, we're new to this area by 2,000 miles. Uh, the drive across the country, a little scary in parts, uh, a little fun in parts. Uh, so that took four and a half days. So a lot of uh, a lot of adventures along the way. But happy to be back. Sorry and, to hear about your uh, you running into the fires there. Oh yeah, that's uh, that was my first experience being near the wildfires, and obviously that's a part of life in California. But yes, like ash coming down through the air out of the sky is very bizarre, and uh, low air quality definitely a concern. But. On this episode, lots of great questions have been piling up over the last week, so we're going to answer as many of those as we possibly can. We got some questions about max exit velocity. There's some new research related to that, kind of looking at barrels and uh, things that are more predictive, so we'll get into that as well. Uh, some differences between hard hit rates in different places, uh, team performances against particular pitches, a lot of great questions, so I just wanted to take some time today and uh, plow through those as best we can. Let's start with this max exit velocity question because there's a few related topics right up front. Uh, Matt writes, just the theme music for the show each week gets me hyped. Had a question about two minor league max exit velocities I've seen. Jason Dominguez with a 109 mile per hour ground out the other night and Jordan Walker earlier in the season hit a grounder at over 114 miles per hour. His question is, is it less impressive if a player hits the ball that hard on the ground? Do we need to see a max exit velocity at a higher launch angle to make it more believable. Hope that makes sense. Thanks, guys. Matt from Reno, which actually was one of my stops. I didn't cross paths with Matt, but that was one of the uh, final stops on my tour to California. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question because the original research for Max Exavilo that I go back to so often is um, Rob Arthur's piece on The Athletic, where he says that one 
one batted ball uh, can change projections going forward. And that has no launch angle, launch angle information attached to it. So he basically says, if the guy can hit 114, that is meaningful and that will change his projections going forward. Um, <clears throat> but there has been some refining of this recently. Um, there's uh, a researcher named Glenn Healy uh, at UC Irvine, and he was working with Xu Wan Zhao, um, and they looked at the predictive quality. So uh, just the predictive quality of like how if a person hits a certain ball in a certain area, um, how often is he going to continue to do so, right? Um, and the map and uh, like, uh, you gotta, you gotta look this up. Uh, it's, it's going to be a little hard for me to describe, but I'll, I'll describe it, but you could look, look them up. The the Healy is spelled H E A L E Y. And I tweeted about this over the weekend. So you'll be able to find my tweet. Um, and there's a link to the the article, but also a, a, a map. And it looks a lot like, uh, the barrels map so uh basically the the green parts of the map are the ones that predict themselves well and the greenest part of the map is at 108 degrees like amazingly uh which was the cutoff that rob arthur picked and 108 degrees from and there's launch angle information in this one from about minus 10 to 30 so you know in that band yes Matt is correct. It is more meaningful to hit it between minus 10 and 30. So, uh, and and I think part of it is this. I think it's still meaningful. And this is, this is a little bit anecdotal of me sort of trying to make sense of it. But I think if the guy uh, hits like a minus uh, 30 degree launch angle like worm burner at 120, um there might be some sort a little bit of selection bias in that. So it's like, if he continues to hit 120, but straight into the ground, he's not going to be a good baseball player. And so he's not going to get a lot of chances to continually hit it right and straight into the ground. Except when you hit 120, you do get more chances. And then hopefully you iron it out. Uh, and so Giancarlo Stanton has hit 120. His hardest hits have actually been negative launch angle, like into the ground. I think his when he hit like 122 or something, it was straight into the ground. Uh, but he doesn't do that a lot, and so it's not predictive of itself. You know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't do the 122 straight in the ground. He didn't do that a lot, so it's not predictive of itself. However, it does mean that he can hit the ball 120, and the 120s at 10 degrees that he hits a lot are predictive. So, um, if that made any sense. But generally, what I would say is it's better uh, to see it in that sort of minus 10 to uh, 30 range. But uh, 108 is kind of still a key number there. Um, and uh, and there's still a lot to be learned from just knowing the guy can hit the ball that hard. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think of players that came into the league with low launch angles or, I mean, like Vlad Jr. is probably one of the more obvious examples it wasn't that he was just pounding the ball into the ground constantly but he wasn't lifting it enough i think is the way i would describe him i think the more extreme examples uh, from the last decade or so that we've talked about a few times eric hosmer and ryan zimmerman 
You know, those were guys that were hitting the ball pretty hard, pretty consistently, but on the ground way too much. And with Zimmerman, I think he worked with was it Kevin Long, who was the hitting coach at the time. I think Daniel Murphy was one of his teammates. He made some adjustments to his swing and started to tap into more of that raw power. I guess it, the, the other way to ask the question that Matt asked is, is a hard hit, a very hard hit ground ball still indicative of raw power? And the way we've been thinking about raw power lately is it's not the same as game power for obvious reasons. Like game power, as you've said before, is more of the function of barreling the ball. Raw power is just hitting it hard and maybe hitting it too low or too high. So does this fall into that latter category? Yeah, I think I think uh, if I saw a guy hit a grounder at 114, I would say he has tremendous raw power. Um, and there would still be that question of unlocking. I think Yandy Diaz is a guy who never really unlocked it. You know, he still hits the ball really hard, but he sits, he hits it low on the ground. He, you know, had like a maybe a three month stretch where he kind of lifted it, um, uh, and that can have something to do with uh, pitch selection, uh, you know, mechanics, uh, even probably some hit tool uh, is involved in there. Um, but you know, here's you can kind of see some of this in action. So, for example, um, I, I was at, being asked on Twitter, I think in this thread where I kind of. I pointed out, um, so Cabrian Hayes, um, I think this is, uh, personally, I think this is about the best time to uh, try and acquire him. Um, I think that uh, people have doubts about his power upside. Uh, his barrel number is not amazing. Um, it, you know, He didn't have great power all the way up and down the minors. And so now it looks like 2020 is the outlier. Uh, but I would say that, first of all, the floor is so high. It's nice to acquire somebody like this that has a good strikeout rate, has a good walk rate, has great defense, and will steal some bases. You know what I mean? Like, like worst case scenario, he's like a 280-2010 guy. Whew, that's pretty awesome. You know, like that's, that, that's really useful. And then best case scenario, he taps into the power. And here's my example coming off of this. Uh, if you actually look at the the this heat map of what's predictive and you look at Cabrian Hayes's max exit velos uh, first of all he has uh this year five balls hit over 108 six seven balls hit over 108 so he already has that sort of max exit velo stuff now you look up and down and the hardest hit balls he's hit 111 was minus 14 degrees however if you look at where uh that sits on this um predictability sheet it actually is not a very predictive ball that because he hit it so far into the ground what what you do see when you see this is that the 109s that he hit at 14 degrees he hit uh three or four balls at 109 at 14 degrees and that's right in the middle of the brightest most predictive spot in this so basically what i'm saying is i know i'm talking about three balls but it is amazing how powerful three balls can be in the context of predicting future batted balls. It's it's something that blows away. Everybody does research on this. I was talking to Alex Chamberlain about this. I was I was talking back and forth with Gun Healy about this. Rob Arthur has a piece that says one batted ball can make a difference. The 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 percentage of batted balls that me are meaningful is actually really low. But when you hit those, it's really meaningful. You know what I mean? It's just, it's so strange. So I'm what I'm saying is 
because Cabrian Hayes hit three balls at 14 degree launch angle and 109 exit velocity, I think he has real power. <laughs> and I, I know that sounds kind of ridiculous and it's definitely a stat nerd thing to say, but uh, I think it's true. And so I would acquire a Brian Hayes, a Cabrian Hayes right now. And I think uh, uh, it's not that meaningful that his 111 uh, was at minus 14 degrees. Do you think it's fair to say that this is a little bit counterintuitive because statistically we're talking about a number of, of events that is generally not statistically relevant? The, oh, yeah. The That's tiny the problem, size, right? Like sure. it, it's the, it goes directly against the way most things tend to work. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I understand anybody who, uh, you know, wants to, can, like wants to say, well, you know, all right, I want to wait for more research. I don't know if I believe this. And, you know, we're, we are still kind of the beginning. I mean, we're only sort of, uh, we're not even 10 years into StatCast, you know. Um, and if you think about it, like my, that stuff research that I'm doing, like uh, that started in 2008. So, uh, and, and this year we had three revisions of the stuff metric. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, um, it's, uh, yes, there could, we could find out more in the future, but, um, this piece is, is pretty rock solid. Glenn Healy is, uh, is really well respected. He has his own stuff number. <laughs> um, and, uh, he did it, uh, in the computer science division at UC Irvine. It's a, it's a, like a publicly vetted, uh, research piece, like a, like it's in a journal. Um, so, uh, it's, um, it's just, I think, you know what I think it is, is I think, I think that like what happens at that moment when you hit a ball 109 at 14 degrees or whatever, is you demonstrate the ability to do that. You know what I mean? Right. On a micro level, it's showing that you own a standout skill. Yeah. Remember, it's like the Ron Chandler thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where once you d- you demonstrate a skill, you own it. And it might not be true. Like you think of like maybe these guys who throw no hitters that aren't very good. Right. Yeah, there are like standout results based. Like sometimes people are just hot and they aren't that good. Um, however, there are skills like, okay, for example, if you throw a ball 105, there's a guy in the Giants organization. That just threw a ball 105. If you throw a ball 105, that means a ton. Like you threw a ball 105. That yeah. means you could throw the ball 105 again. And it also means you could throw the ball, you could sit 103. There, of course, are other questions that go along with it, but yeah. yes, that is a like standout with skill. Hayes, you know, well, you hit the ball 109, what angles are gonna be in the future and this and that. But like uh there are guys, there are guys, if you look around, there are guys who have like 45% ground ball rates that also hit 25 homers because they hit the ball hard. So that's why I think it like, if you do one Oh nine at 14 degrees, you've done something like you, that is something meaningful. I mean, it, it's even more meaningful. It was like 115 or whatever, but uh, you know, I, I say, I think Brian Hayes has real power. And that's what I see when I look at this map is like, Oh crap. One Oh eight was a really big deal. Rob Arthur was completely right. This, this totally backs up Rob Arthur's claim because up and down one Oh eight from minus 10 to 30 degrees is just the big bright blinding green light on this, on this map. Um, and there's a bit of a box around it. So like you could say one Oh seven to one fifteen 
uh, from minus 10 to 30. But that that's the most important information. So uh, Max Bay, who I work with uh, on the stuff thing, he created uh, an extra an X extra base hit stat. Um, we can maybe share the the uh, Google Doc in our show notes or something. But it's basically based on this idea that like uh, the the number of balls that are truly predictive is actually smaller than barrels. Barrels are the most predictive overall stat that we have in terms of power. But the the predicted predictive the really predictive balls are even smaller than barrels. So basically, you can you can actually become more predictive than barrels by cutting off a smaller piece. That's really uh, goes against what you know my my initial thought of about barrels and stuff like that. But um, he made a smaller, more predictive barrels. Basically, um, Buxton number one, baby. Uh, Shohei number two, Tatis number three, Tyler O'Neill mm. number four, right there by Vlad. Acuna Jr., Judge, Harper, Salvador Perez. Uh, a couple other uh, top guys that were expe- are, are pretty impressive. Joey Votto, 17th. Evan Lagoria, 18th, the old man brigade. Um, Reese Hoskins ahead of Pete Alonso, but right there at 23-24. Alex Kirilov. This is, the, this is what we're talking about with like the Cabrian Hayes thing. Does Alex Kirilov have, have plus power? Does he have real power or does he have like 18 homer power? I don't know. When I see him on this thing uh, right next to Manny Machado and Pete Alonso, I say this dude has real power. Yeah, I I think even the more public-facing barrel numbers and exit velos on Kirilov point to a guy with well above average power. I, I think he's probably a 30 to 35 home run guy at his peak and more of like an easy 20 to 25 guy in a typical season. So I'm definitely in on Kirilov in the long run. Yeah. It's other names that pop for me are, are Haas, Eric Haas, uh, right there with Austin Riley and Juan Soto. Um, Avisel Garcia is just, uh, when he's not, uh, catching balls or, or when he's not, not <laughs> catching or whatever, uh, <laughs> when he's, when he's not in the field, he's great. Um, uh, who else is up here? That's interesting. Darren roof. 44th, right next to Jan Gomes, 45. In fact, um, Jan Gomes, is. Uh, I picked him up in AL Labor. If you're looking for a second catcher or a fill-in catcher uh, and he's been dropped because he doesn't seem like he's uh, the starter in Oakland, uh, from the usage, from what I see, from what I've talked to and to people around Oakland, he's not necessarily like the starting catcher, but it's going to be a little bit more like 50-50 um and he's gonna get dh at bats like he might be the starting dh against left-handers which Not means bad. he's gonna get really close to 50 50 uh so he's a, he's an interesting pickup for people if they need a catcher yeah so i think there's a, a lot of interesting stuff here be sure to check out the full thread because it it's very detailed i still need to dig into it more myself uh, as you can imagine uh, the excess reading time has not been where I'd like it to be over the last few days, but some really exciting stuff there. And I'm, I'm all in on Cabrian Hayes as a buy low, even without this, just on principle, there are other reasons to like him. He's a great defender at third base on a rebuilding team. He's going to hit mm-hmm. in the middle third of the order, and he's always had a good hit tool. Those reasons are also all good reasons to go after Hayes. Yeah, he's still very on our, young on too. our winker list for those reasons. I mean, the, the the winker list for me is you know great hit tool, great strikeout rate, gonna play, 
and reasons to you know reasons to believe they could uh, increase their barrel rate or increase their power somehow. Yeah, so really interesting stuff there. Uh, thanks for writing about that, Matt. I'm glad it kind of was in line with some things that Eno had seen recently from the research community. Uh, by the way, is it research or is it research? This is a, a problem I have encountered recently in my life. I'd never heard research until I think it was Steph's last lab group and. I can't get a clear answer on this. That almost seems like the BBC way to pronounce it. Yeah, it's got to be regional. That sounds sort of Englishy. Yeah. Well, I, I remember know. when I was in England, I the one that just really got me was um, innovative. Oh, geez. Yeah, I wouldn't have seen that one coming at all. <laughs> that one blew me out of left field. <laughs> like, what did they just... Oh! Oh, innovative. I love it. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's research for me, but... Yeah, I've always said research. So if you are in academia and we are wrong, please drop us a line on Twitter. He's at, you know, Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. Rates and Barrels at theathletic.com, of course, is a great way to reach us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, you know, let's get to a few other questions here. Lots of great ones I mentioned up top. I want to start with a question from Casey about hard hit rates, seeing some differences on fan graphs versus stat cast. In this case, Casey was looking at Tuki Toussaint's hard hit rate on the two sites and noticed a difference of about 18 percentage points. Is there one of those sites that you prefer over the other? And could you explain the differences between those two sources? Yeah, this is uh, this is like a industry thing. It's like a it's like two businesses. This is kind of, I guess, why sometimes people say, "Oh, you know, there's three wars." You know, so it's bull BS. You know, um, I kind of wish there was one hard hit. I I have to admit, I kind of wish there was one war. <laughs> you know, like it, it would make it a lot easier uh, to know what we we're talking about because, um, but. Whatever. Uh, I I respect the right of each war holder to to have a different, a slightly different methodology. So that's that's fine. It's no big deal. The difference is hard hit uh, that you're looking at. There is actually now that Statcast is on uh, Fangraphs, there will be two hard hits on Tuki's page on Fangraphs. So if you look at the Statcast area, he's got the fifty two point five percent hard hit. And then if you look at a thing called batted ball, uh, there's a hard percentage uh, that's 37.7% right now. That's BIS. So I think most of the the whole section here that's called batted ball and fan graphs is from baseball info solutions. 
So those are stri- those are stringers. Those are human beings that are watching the game and deciding that's a that's pulled, that's center, that's oppo, that's a uh, that's a, a pop up, uh, that's a line drive, that's softly hit, medium hit, and hard hit. Um, and so uh, generally, I think that's uh, inferior to uh, Statcast. The one thing that's nice about it is that it goes back a long way. And so it does tell us a little bit about pre-stat cast players. Um, but uh, a human, when BIS, when they look, it, here's what the, what the thing says. The calculation is made based on hang time, location, and general trajectory. So you're asking a human being to do that. <laughs> to well, kind of be like, okay, well, that was in the air for you know two point two seconds, and it landed in the outfield, so that was hard hit. I'm know. a little torn here though because I think the hard hit on baseball savant and Statcast is just ninety five ninety five plus, or, yeah. no matter what you do with it. And we were just talking about you know ground balls, right? If you're a, if you're a pitcher and you're giving up ninety five plus mile per hour average exit velocities on the ground. Less of a concern if you're doing it in the air. So if the human doing the work at Baseball Info Solutions takes the 95 plus on the ground and pushes that into the medium bucket instead of leaving it in the hard hit bucket, I think that might be a little bit helpful. But I think you are introducing some some human error or just some some subjectivity to something that could be much more objective if you added a few more a few more ways to measure it. Right? If you look at more specific information about a bad ball type it's it's almost like what they're trying to do at baseball info solutions should be done by a computer and then we'd be in a better spot the best of both worlds would be kind of merging the two together yeah and just you know for me i i don't know i don't know how much value there is here um i just want to let's see here i'm doing the hard hit leaders uh, qualified pitchers last year, 2020. I don't, I don't see a reason to fade these pitchers. Uh, let me just give them to you. Number one, Fran Valdez. Number two, Garrett Cole. Number three, Patrick Corbin. Okay, well that's that's a reason to fade him. But there's a lot of other reasons to fade him, right? Declining <laughs> fastball velo, declining strikeout rate, two pitches. I mean, there was a lot of reasons to fade him that didn't have anything to do with hard hit. Shane Bieber, four. Herman Marquez, five. Is this a list of good pitchers or bad pitchers? Yeah, I mean, I, I see. And I think the way I'm looking at it right now, from last season, I've got it sorted where Marco Gonzalez was the worst in the league, the highest hard hit rate allowed. Oh, Garrett Cole I, I, was in the top six. Yeah, yeah, I've got it with the qualified thing on. So Yeah, so yeah. if you turn that off, you find some other. Hugh Darvish is 12th. I mean, I, yeah. I, I would not look at this and, and just – especially in the shortened season. But in general, I would not look at this and say, you can't draft a guy who's bad in this particular category. And I think especially in a short sample, and we've talked about this before, I think it just has to do with, we just haven't, we've we've shown that pitchers have some control over launch angle. um, We haven't really shown that they have much control over exit velocity. And I think that has to do with the fact that the pitcher's command is not as good as people think. So a pitcher can generally throw high in the zone or generally throw low in the zone 
and that can change the launch angle of the, what's being hit, right? But uh, they also miss their spots by an average of, I'm being, the research said 10 to 13 inches uh, is, is the average. I'm being kinder than the research because the, the research had some flaws in it. But I'd say six to eight inches probably is an average, right? So let's say you are primo command guy and you only miss four to six inches. There are times when you're going to aim for the aim for the the black, miss by four or six inches, and it's right in the happy zone, right? So even guys with good command will give up hard hits. I think. Shane, it's not even a list of, of people with bad command because Jose Barrios has good command. He's on this list of hard hit. Shane Bieber has good command. He's on this list of hard hit. You know, Aaron Nola has great command and he's on this list of hard hit. Yeah, I just think there, there are some guys who are more susceptible to yielding hard contact when they miss because of either their mix of pitches or maybe a lack of premium velocity or maybe they live in the zone. Yes, it could be a stuff thing. It could be that they live in the zone. Um. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things. I think there is. I'm not saying that this is like a fait accompli, and we have we know everything there is to know. There's, they're definitely like Andrew Haney, for example. Uh, you know, rates well by stuff, rates well by command. Uh, his K minus BB is good. Uh, his Sierra and FIP are always good, and he underperforms uh, those numbers every year, and he gives up really hard hit homers. And is, is it because he shows the ball? Or is it because his his fastball's actually got interesting characteristics? It's not a terrible fastball, but uh, you know, is there something that about his fastball that gives up homers? There's definitely almost enough sample now with Haney to be like, seems like he gives up hard contact. <laughs> right, he owns that skill or fails to own that skill. Right, <laughs> but I but I can't I can't it. it's not I, I can't really tell exactly what it is. It's not like he gives up a terrible barrel rate either. It's just a lot of smoked balls. So I don't yeah. Know. Well, thank you for the question, Casey. Hopefully that breakdown was helpful. I think limited value in using that overall, but at least understanding how those are different might be helpful. If I had to pick a lane, I'd probably just use the StatCast one because of the consistency, but I wouldn't want to rely too heavily on that for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, let's get to a question here about team performances against a particular pitch. And this question came from Robert. I think it was inspired by Blake Snell's recent good outing against the D-backs, 13 Ks there. Through his slider, 48% of the time had a lot of success in that outing. Robert tried to do some research and was looking at the weighted slider runs per 100 pitches. Arizona happened to have the worst performance in that category. So is it possible to match or to measure the effectiveness of of a team against a particular pitch type. I mean, every bone in my body is saying no. But <laughs> uh, just because, yeah. So just to tell you what that stat is, I mean, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, um, basically that stat takes uh, the run environment before, or basically takes a look at what's happening in the game before that that ball is put in play or swung on and missed or whatever, and then looks uh, what's going on in the game after and gives that pitch the credit, right? 
So um, you could be whiffing on sliders. You could be hitting over the top of them into ground balls and creating outs. Whatever it is, uh, the game is worse after. So it's not that great for if you're looking at a single pitcher because it always said that, like, for example, R.A. Dickey's fastball was amazing pitch. Well, that was only because he threw, like, 10 a game and nobody was ready for it because they were sitting on the 80-mile-an-hour curveball. I mean, knuckleball. Right. It was it was a changeup basically. His fastball was, yeah, was a changeup. Change so so you know that it lies on that level. Now okay, now we're we're leaving the fit, the pitcher behind. We're looking at a team. Here's where uh, there's enough where I'm like, well, there's here's some ways that a team could be bad at a slider at sliders, for example. One, uh, they do not have uh, really great um, coaching and preparation. So, uh, and that's actually sort of separate there. Coaching, I could see, like, for example, the Giants out here uh, use three L screens during batting practice. Uh, They'll have a pitching machine behind one, and they'll have humans behind the other. And they'll mimic different arm slots, different pitch types, uh, and and do fastball offseed. And, like, just basically try to screw with the batter as much as possible to prepare them for for the game that day. Not very many other teams do that. Also downstairs, I was told that uh, I would lose my my poop uh, if I was allowed to go downstairs and look at what their pitching machine could do. Um, they have installed some sort of new pitching machine. No one will tell me exactly what it does uh, in San Francisco, but I'm sure just guessing, I, I bet you it has some sort of video component where it kind of uh, there's like a fake pitcher winding up to release the ball. Uh, that's that's been done before. I bet you uh, it's one of the best spin machines. I like can spin sliders like nobody's business. Um, and then um, it's got to have good high velo. So it's all three of these things. Maybe there's some other aspect of it that I'm not anticipating that makes it great. So they work on that. Um, and they work on the 3L screens and batting practice. And then there's preparation, which is uh, really great information given to their hitters, uh, catered to each hitter's style um, that uh, really gets them ready for the game. In fact, I heard that the... Uh, so th- now we're talking about Arizona versus the Giants. I heard that the Giants were doing the 3L screen thing uh, in Arizona, and um, by the end of the series, when they were... Uh, when they, they noticed that Arizona didn't um, take... like Because, you know, the Giants go first... Arizona didn't take it down. They left the three L screens out there for the yeah, for the last day of the series. They were like, "Hey, let's let's, let's try this," because they probably had some people watching what was happening in the field and said, "Wow, that's a good idea. We could do that." Guess what happened? Like two weeks later, they hit. All the Arizona coaches got fired. All the oh Arizona no, coaches got fired. <laughs> so I, I I get I get just a little bit of a sort of whiff of we're just going to copy this because we're a little bit desperate here right now. Um, and we don't know exactly what they're doing, but we're just going to copy it. I've heard this before from other things. Uh, you might have heard a story on here uh, about um, batting stances in the Astros. But uh, Oh, geez, yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, sometimes people just copy each other. They don't even know why they're copying. Uh, but in any case, uh, then the last part that I just want to say is scouting and acquisition. So maybe um, you scout and acquire a certain type of player that has a weakness against a certain pitch type uh, because maybe you say, oh, we just love guys who hit fastballs really well. Maybe those guys, some of them just don't hit sliders that well, and you've acquired a bunch of guys who can knock the snot out of fastball but have some trouble against sliders. So you could have a scouting 
bias. Uh, you could have a, a like a preparation and a coaching bias. So I guess it's possible that a team could be bad against uh, a certain pitch type. I, I don't think it's probable because you're talking about like 15 different batters, right? It'd be pretty weird. And I think that was uh, I kind of truncated the email just to get to the, the main point. I mean, Robert was wondering about each individual player in a lineup left specific strengths and weaknesses against certain right, pitches. Exactly. Is it possible to look at the sum or the average of the parts? It might not be helpful to look at the sum or the average of the parts because you're scouting every, you can scout everyone individually and attack them individually, but you could happen to have five or six hitters in the lineup on a given day who are bad against sliders or a couple that are just bad against premium velocity or, or something that that's possible. Uh, but yeah, I'd be, I'd be careful about trying to find a ton of value in this as well. I, I love what the Giants are doing. Every time it comes up when you explain some things you've seen them doing uh, that are really putting them at the forefront of, of coaching and development, it, it, it makes sense. It helps to explain something that coming to the season, we, we thought what happened last year was was a fluke and that they were going to be you know, at best the third best team in the NL West. I probably would have said Arizona was going to win more games than San Francisco <laughs> back in March, put that in the long list of things I've been wrong about in 2021. <laughs> but when you have unexpected success or unexpected failure, you want to dig in more and understand why. And I think the why with the Giants is well thought out and compelling more often than not. It's just an organization that seems to get it and wants to continue to learn more and kind of push things in the right direction even further. Yeah, I mean... uh just talking to their coaches, every time I talk to them, they, they say something that kind of blows my mind. Um, they definitely went out and tried to acquire people who think hard on the game and, and are good at connecting with people. Um, so, And then on top of that, Farhan is a waiver wire genius. I mean, this dude found Max Muncy, you know, and, and Donovan Solano and Mike Jastrzemski, and these are all waiver claims. Yeah. Do you know how many Useful waiver players. claims? Do you do you, <laughs> do you know how many successful waiver claims GMs normally have in their lives? They probably have like one or two that they remember. And usually yeah. it's like we remember we claimed that one reliever and he ended up being good. Yeah, it's like rule five. Joe Everyone's Thatcher like, was good. Johan Santana. You, yeah, rule five matters. Johan Santana. You're like, yeah, Johan Santana. That's about it. <laughs> There's yeah, like he, two guys from the rule five over the last like 20 years, <laughs> and everyone's always excited about it. I'm like. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, good luck to these guys, but I don't. I don't know, man. It's it's a it's a really low percentage play, but this guy, he's. I think he's done a really good job, and I think like the even the you can almost count like signing Tommy Lestella and guys like that as almost waiver ish because you're talking about two three million dollar signings too. Yeah, I am. I'm with you there. So a huge, uh, a huge list of reasons why they're having success, but uh, and probably the Dodgers and Brewers are doing very similar things. I mean, yeah, first they're, of they're all, Farhan came yeah. from the was at the Dodgers, so like, I think they're doing very similar things. I've heard the Dodgers a little bit more out there on VR, on virtual reality, but um, you know, obviously the Brewers have some pretty good player development going too. So it's not I'm not trying to say it's only the Giants, but it could be a thing that I think the lefty righty splits is meaningful, and the 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 difficulty and there was some stuff in this in the in the, in the email too. Uh, the difficulty, and he, he was pointing this out, is that like the lineups change too. So doing anything on the team level ignores the goings, the goings and comings off the IL. Uh, you know, guys who've been demoted, you know, call ups, like all that stuff. And then if you try to cut it into smaller tidbits, it gets worse because 
now you're just looking at a lot of noise. So let's say you say um, lefty-righty splits. That is pretty useful. That could tell you something about uh, you know just the handedness of the of the team and and basically. Um, but um, what if they like the Cubs? They brought this is the email that brought up the Cubs too, right? It's a, another email, but it's very very related. This this uh, email came from another Matt. Uh, Matt was wondering, with so many batters moved to the traded line, I was wondering how the starting pitcher streaming landscape has changed. I use the Fangraphs team splits tool plus Eno's commanded stuff numbers when streaming starting pitching. Which teams do you think are now viable to stream left-handed pitchers or right-handed pitchers against? First team in general is obviously the Cubs are losing their best hitters. I mean, yeah, they gutted that lineup. So uh, his question was, how bad do you think their offense will be now? Probably bottom five. I mean, Name three good hitters still in that lineup, like Wilson Contreras and... I got a share of Rafael Ortega, baby. <laughs> I came up on the waiver pod yesterday, and <laughs> it was it was after we talked about Joe Adele. I'm like, wow, those are two guys coming from very, very different, different places at very different points in their career. And yeah, yet, Ortega's like 29 uh, or 30, or is he like yeah. super old? Like, which one's going to help me more? So I, I think th- this is kind of part of a broader question, and it does tie into the last one. Like, you have... Lineups changing all the time. I think one thing we've done generally poorly in the season-long community, they do it really well in DFS, is accounting for the changes in opponent quality. When you take the best hitter out of a lineup, think of the Padres. Without Fernando Tatis Jr., when he's on the IL, that's not a lineup you fear because even with him in it, they're above average, but they're not way above average. They're not a top-five offense. They're more like in that, that 10 to 15 range. Without him... They're just a tick below average, probably overall. Then you start taking your shots, right? So you have all these situations like that. The trade deadline is just one of the big ones where teams can absolutely get gutted. But the Cubs weren't a team that you feared before, but now they're a team you'd seek out. Like you would actively seek out streaming pitchers, guys you previously would not use against the Cubs. You absolutely will use against the Cubs during the final two months of the season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I, you know, I have a little bit of a weakness as an analyst. Is that I'm not super into DFS, and so um, I haven't looked at the sort of predictive quality of all these different splits you can look into. But I would have to say that my general thought is that you could almost do better, um, like you're kind of doing the blink assessment, where you're like, you know, just look at, just look at the lineup. <laughs> right and be like well oh, that's not a good line <laughs> that isn't that going to do you better than being like well uh in the last week uh they've murdered you know sliders from righties and the guy that's coming in today throws a you know what i mean yeah i mean i think the the hard thing too is as you start to break things down even by month for teams that haven't changed as much you could trick yourself into avoiding a matchup that's basically a string of good games put together or a string of bad games put together, right? Teams slump just like players slump. So you could say, oh, well, the Tigers in August are, uh, they're a league average offense. I should be more careful with them. It's like, no, you probably shouldn't be more careful with them. There hasn't been that much that's changed for them. Did to that. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, I sold Cal Contral. Uh, for Clint Frazier and Devil's Rejects right after that start. <laughs> so I mean, maybe maybe I'll look dumb later, but uh, I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> the August thing is kind of funny, though, because if you look at the WRC Plus by team, from the bottom up, Pirates, dead last, Rangers, second to last, Brewers, third to last, Rockies, 
fourth to last, and then Marlins rounding out the bottom five. All teams that we've been picking on for most of the season. I think the Those Brewers are the one surprise mostly there. Mostly teams I would stream against. I mean, Brewers away from home, I, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like Alec Mills gets them today. It's but the not like Adamas changes everything. I mean, Adamas and Telez have been good, but it's mostly about bringing them up from the bottom than making them a top offense. Right. So if everything's clicking for them and they get Yelich back to being Yelich, that's, maybe I mean, that's, then... That's what they need to do. If they want to go far and in, 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 just to do a real baseball little snippet there, if the Brewers want to go far, they need uh, they need Christian to be like 90% Christian at least, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, that and that's that's just going to be the reality for them because if he's just if this is who he is and he's just like an okay player then that whole lineup is just just okay. But I'd say Pirates, Rangers, Brewers, Rockies, Marlins, Mariners against the working up from the bottom, Cleveland, the D-backs, the Reds are surprising. I, I don't think they're necessarily a, a soft streaming target. The Twins, I think they make sense because Buxton's been hurt, Donaldson's been hurt a lot. Nelson Cruz is I think gone. Twins is a little bit dangerous though, and they're barrelers, man. They they lead the league in barrels, and yeah, and you could get bad uh, lineup news like right before, where it's like you do you think Donaldson's gonna be out, but then he's in or whatever, and you know what I mean? Yeah, you could get burned by that, but that's just not the same Twins lineup that we thought it was gonna be coming into the season because of a, a variety of different Kirloff, factors. Buxton, Cruz, yeah, yeah. So I think you can mess with them, the Royals, the Cubs. I would just say the Twins and the Cubs are the two teams that probably fell the most at the deadline. Mm, yeah. And and because of injuries and other factors. Whereas earlier in the year, you were more careful with who you'd use against them. Now, you don't have to be. So um, another spot, like it's been the refrain in this episode, be careful because reading too much into these limited samples and splitting things out too much can, uh, can lead you astray in, in some of these cases. Uh, and you don't want to make bad decisions that you think are, are good decisions rooted uh, in in data. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, you know, let's get to one more question for today. This is a concern, injury concern question from Perry. Perry writes, I've spent a good portion of the last three years waiting for Byron Buxton and Adalberto Mondesi to come back from the IL, and I'm wondering if I should just move on. I'm in a 30-team dynasty league and had the likes of Alex Kirilov, Julio Rodriguez, George Valera, and Royce Lewis waiting in the wings. Should I try to get 50 cents on the dollar and let someone else worry about Mondesi and Buxton? Thanks for all the info and laughs. Perry, this is tough because it's a 30-team dynasty league. So replacement level when you lose a guy is really high. And then the penalty of taking 50 cents on the dollar when you trade players who could be as good as Buxton and Mondesi is really steep because, look, you're getting less than you should 
and trying to replace them, trying to find quality on the wire is almost impossible. Unless you're going to win a championship this year by trading them for some rentals, I don't think you could really justify getting rid of either one of these guys right now because Mondesi especially, his value might be at a three-year low right now. Yeah, and I just think that um, the psychology, there's a little bit of the psychology at play here, the recency bias. I think you need to take advantage of recency bias. Just like remember this moment um, and, and, and nurture it within you and hide it from people. Um, and then once Buxton and Montessi have a really good three-week stretch to end the season, uh, take take part in the happiness. Remember that little kernel of doubt that you stored away and then trade him. And it'll be harder because then you'll be like, oh, dude, Buxton came back and he smashed like six homers and stole three bases and that's what everybody wants from him. And he's, you know, he's 27. But then remember this, this moment too. <laughs> like sort of store away this feeling so that you, you can trade him away later at closer to full value. I would say that both of them have done enough to, that I think long-term you may want to trade them um, because it's not a good sign when your GM says, we're not sure he can be an everyday player, which is what Dayton Moore recently said about Alberto Mossi in public. To it's weird, isn't it? I mean, it's not nice. I, maybe he's like, maybe it's like a gauntlet he's throwing down or he's like, come on, dude. Is he trying to yeah? Is he trying to motivate him because that is not a way to maximize value? Yeah, he's, he's not going to trade him away. I guess after that, like he's not helping his trade value. And but and he's normally I thought Moore was a guy that like tried to support, like right they they paid their minor leaguers and they've been pretty supportive. But could that have been posturing because the league knows that they probably want to trade with Merrifield this winter? If is having some kernel of doubt about Mondesi's playing time volume, a way of trying to protect Merrifield's trade value. Cause you got Bobby Witt jr. Coming up too. like, Oh yeah, we could play all three of them because Mondesi's not really an everyday player. Right. And then everyone's like, Oh, well, then we get to pay top dollar for Whit Merrifield. Like that's how he thinks it's going to play out. And it's like, well, mm. I'm pretty sure everybody else can evaluate those three players and, and see that own. you, you <laughs> have <laughs> motivations just... to get rid of the oldest one of the three. I think there's less of these sort of uh, uh, galaxy brain 3D chess things than than we want there to be. <laughs> I was talking about uh, a GM uh, to somebody and being like, I, I don't think I'd ever work for that guy. And they and the and the executive said there were fewer heroes and uh, and villains in baseball than people want to want to think. Really. There's yeah. just more regular people in around the game than, <laughs> yeah, than we assume. Right. Yeah, I think so. More Clark so. Kent's, yeah, not you know maybe maybe these guys and uh, like the you know we we like to we like we like narrative we don't get full access you know as writers we try to give uh, uh, people access but we don't we ourselves don't have full access and then whatever access we have is filtered down through the narratives that we put on the stuff that we get through our access so you you're never getting the full story of what a, you know an AJ Preller is like you know. No, not just to pull he, a name out of a hat. Well, if you if you sat down with someone who's been in his inner circle before or who is in his inner circle currently, and if you you know had 
some beers with that person, then you may get some actual unfiltered information. And that's but, actually the sort of you're describing the situation in which I got that sort of feedback. So <laughs> not that it was about AJ Preller. No, of course not. <laughs> Why would it be? I, you know, I'm still stuck on this uh, this pitching machine that you described in San Francisco because I I want rates and barrels field trips to become a thing now that it's possible. Like we can uh, get yeah. in the same vehicle and, and go to a place and, and check stuff out. But that's like that's like getting access to the everlasting gobstopper machine. Like that's that's really not going to happen, is it? Like if I hold out hope that that's going to be our first field trip, I'm going to be waiting a very long time for that. Do you know what the coach uh, who was telling me about it said I should do? He said I should take a bucket of balls and throw them all over the field and go, what the hell? Who did that? <laughs> and then go run down and look at it. <laughs> well, um, if you need me to bail you out when you do that, if, if that's the route you want to go, uh, I'll bail you out instead yeah, of a way to get throwing a, the balls. An organization to hate you. <laughs> Yeah, I think being on the more friendly side with the Giants is probably the better long-term play. But I love that that was suggested to you. Like maybe that was was that 3D chess? Was that some attempt to that get you out of the Giants' orbit? Right <laughs> just talk Eno to doing something ridiculous so we can ban him for life. Uh, just imagine the tweet from one of the other beat writers. Uh, looks like Eno Saris is being kicked out of the park. There's a bucket of balls on the field. I can't tell what's going on here. <laughs> it would be very confusing and uh, very exciting for anybody who was covering the game that day to see something like that unfold uh, during batting practice. But uh, if you got ideas for some rates and barrels field trips, drop us a line. He's at Unoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. You can subscribe to The Athletic for just three ninety nine a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Thank you to the many of you who have taken the time and, and supported the site over the years and if you're thinking about doing it now is a great time to get in of course we got the push to the playoffs we got fantasy football stuff starting up as well if you play that and thank you hey, to you for coming back <laughs> oh yeah was, was i was it was it not fun having me gone <laughs> uh, it may have been for our listeners but it was uh it was difficult for me <laughs> i'd much rather be hosting this show than driving down i-80 with two hands firmly on the wheel just like unsure of what's actually coming up next there's parts of that drive that are just very long stretches of straight flat boring drive like 455 and a half miles of nebraska for example very easy driving uh, but for somebody who's never been through like wyoming and nevada and stuff before that is like mario kart brought to life but without the turtle shells and stars and mushrooms and stuff which would you know, make power it slide. fun and terrifying with the power slide for sure <laughs> Yeah, so highly recommend it if you uh, need a thrill and have uh, a week to burn. But uh, at the same time, I don't actually you recommend it. You haven't even it. gone up into the foothills yet. Ooh, baby. <laughs> now do yeah. it. Now do it with a, bic- a bicycler on your side and on the other side. Oh, jeez. I <laughs> there are some people doing some crazy things on pretty busy roads out here. So it's going to be Bicycle an adjustment culture, to baby. say the least. Yeah, it's it's alive and well. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.